Please open your scriptures to Revelation chapter 7. God gave us revelation not so that we had more material to debate over. Right? We understand that. And yet there are certain texts within Revelation that are difficult to understand. And one of those is before us this morning. I want to read our text this morning, marking the clear break in the vision. In the first section, John sees angels and then hears a number. In the second section, John sees a multitude that cannot be numbered. And one of the common questions when you get done reading this uh, is, are, is this one group or two groups? Are they different groups of people? And then who are they? So let's read this. Let's let the text inform our understanding, and then we'll look to the Lord for wisdom on this. After this, now it's been about five weeks since we've been in Revelation, and so this is after the sixth seal, after John sees the sixth seal. After this, I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. So on the eastern horizon comes an angel different than the other four. Rising from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying... Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Then there's a break. And the second section is this, and, and, it's, and it's signified by those two words, after this. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, okay, so here's an elder in the heavenlies asking John a question. Who are these clothed in white robes and 
from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Seeing that video reminds us that we have such a rich treasure in our hands. Multiple copies in our home. On our electronic devices. And yet sometimes we remain ignorant and partially blind of what you have revealed to us. So we ask that you would help us this morning understand your word. You've not only given revelation to us for further information, but so that we might obey it and receive a blessing. So help us to be discerning and sensitive to what is in this text for us to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at chapter 8. We just read through chapter 7. Okay, we ended with the sixth seal at the end of chapter 6. Chapter 7 actually begins in chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So you have the end of the sixth seal, an entire chapter, and then you have the opening of the seventh seal, which then proceeds into seven angels being given trumpets, which they each one by one blow, and from the sound of that trumpet come what we have referred to as the trumpet judgments. But before that, there is an interlude. There's this pause. Why, why is this pause here? Why are they separated by a long interlude? Well, first of all, it provides information that we would not have otherwise had. It stresses the sovereign, sovereign control of God and answers a question. I mean, what we just read actually answers a question that comes out of chapter 6. Look back at chapter 6. Look, look back at chapter 6, verse 15. Here is the build-up to the question. Revelation 6, verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath. See, we weren't expecting this. Hide us from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Here's the question. And who can stand? And that's a good question. Chapter 7 answers that question. The earth dwellers, unbelieving sinners, 
unregenerate people, unsaved. I mean, we, we have all these terms for them. Uh, Revelation views them as these earth dwellers. They will not stand when the judgment of God falls upon them. This is disturbing to some people. Okay, but they will not stand. That's why they're, that's why they're seeking God's creation to hide from God. The heaven dwellers, saints, redeemed sinners, those who are born again, they will stand because they belong to God. How do we know that? Because they bear the seal of God and therefore they receive his protection. So who is able to stand? Go back to Revelation 7. Look at verse 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And what are they doing? Standing. Before the throne and before the Lamb. See, there's these two clear categories. There are those who are running from God in fear, trying to hide from His presence. And they're saying, who can stand? And there's this group standing in the presence of God and the Lamb without fear and worshiping. And see, so what this interlude is intended to do for us, what this interlude is intended to do for our persecuted Ethiopian brothers and sisters is to provide hope. Hope that God's plan is being fulfilled. Hope that those who have the seal of God, they're marked. They are protected until God's purposes are fulfilled. Believer, if you have the mark of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about a slight distinction here between the mark that this angel brings and the mark that you have, which is the Holy Spirit, you have nothing to fear. So let's look at what John saw and heard in the first section. This is the sealing of the saints. We're only going to look at the first eight verses. So after this, he saw four angels at the four corners of the earth. The forces of destruction are gathered and judgment is imminent. It's like the great tribulation is spring loaded. All it needs is a command. And God is the commander. And another angel comes with a seal, like a signet ring, a mark. And he says, not yet. Not until we have sealed the witnesses. Do not harm the earth or the trees or the sea until we have sealed the servants of our God on the foreheads, on their foreheads. Now, this is an illusion. If you write this reference down, you can go back this afternoon and read it. It's an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 9, and it's part of a remarkable judgment passage where six angels appear. And the passage in Ezekiel calls them the executioners. These six angels appear because the temple has been desecrated. Five are armed with weapons, and one is armed with a writing tablet. And God says to the one with a writing tablet, he says, go and find those who are mourning the desecration of the temple and put a mark on their forehead. Put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in the temple. After he does this and he goes and he puts a mark on the foreheads. The other five executioners with their weapons go through and kill 
and then stack those bodies inside the temple. It's a violent passage. It is interesting that in Revelation 7, we again have angels spring-loaded for destruction. And there's one who says, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I have a seal, like a signet ring. There are others that we need to put a mark on so they're protected. An angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God calls with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. After that, after that incredible image, John sees that and then he hears something. Look at verse four. And here's the sealing of the twelve tribes. Verse four, he sees that. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then, then John lists 12 tribes. What's interesting is that list compares to no other list in the scripture. It's a unique list. There are several lists. There's geographical lists. There's matriarchal lists. There's the lists all the way back in the Old Testament. John's list is Unique. What is interesting is he starts with what tribe? Judah. And we've already talked about this lion and the lamb. Remember that? He's, he hears about this lion of the tribe of Judah and he turns around and he sees what? And he sees a lamb. What is interesting is that my Messiah comes through that line, the lion of the tribe of who? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So now you have that name perhaps being sort of placed First, because that is where Messiah comes through. What John describes as a seal, or as we've seen in other language, a name written, was the imprint from a royal ruler's signet ring. So in John's lifetime, if he were going to send a letter to someone very important, they would sort of melt wax often over the closing of that letter, and then they would seal it with a signet ring. And that would guarantee, it used to, or it was an attempt to guarantee that the contents of that letter were to remain safe until the document reached its intended destination. Now think about these witnesses, these servants of God. They are sealed. This angel has the seal of God. He imprints them. What does that mean? They are going to reach their intended destination. They are protected by a sovereign king. And they are marked. God's imprint upon the 144,000 is God's promise that these persons, whoever they are, will persevere until they reach God's purpose. So later in Revelation, turn, turn with me to Revelation 14. Because in Revelation 14, John reveals the precise content of the seal. What is this? What is this mark on the forehead? What is this seal? Revelation 14. One, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. And with him, one hundred and forty four thousand who had his name, the lamb's name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
Now, in Jewish and Christian writings, the mark or seal was not a physical marking. For instance, it would not be a tattoo or it would not be scarification, you know, where they, they allow that skin to rise up off the flesh, where it just puffs up. So it's, it's, neat, it's really neither of those. The seal on God's people marked or symbolized how God would preserve them through judgment and tribulation. So when it comes to the 144,000, it's most likely not a physical mark. Just like the number of the beast, it is a human number. Its number is 666. It's probably not a physical mark. See, we, we have been so trained by the 1970s movies, right, that we think it has to be an imprint. Okay, this is symbolic. Even the numbers, the 144,000, 12 times 12 times 1,000, those are key biblical numbers in Revelation. Six is a key biblical number for humanity in Revelation. Three sixes, that's a key number. It is symbolic. It communicates something. Just like this is probably not a physical mark. For example, any believer in here has a mark on them. What is the mark? It's a coat and a tie. No, it's not a coat and a tie. Right? If you join Highlands, there, there's, a, there's a secret gathering and we tattoo up here on your arm, HBC. No, we don't do that either. What is the mark? It's an, it's an invisible mark that seals you. So in a similar sense, if you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sealed. And you have a mark, but it's unseen. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this, Who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The mark is the Holy Spirit of God in us, which as Ephesians says, seals us unto the day of redemption. Well, I thought I was redeemed. I thought that the day I trusted Christ and was saved, I, that's the day of redemption. No, the day of redemption is when you receive the full rights as sons of your inheritance on that day. And even though now we struggle and we sin, God has put a mark on you to protect you until that day, until the full realization of you being a child of God. For the 144,000, the seal symbolizes God's guarantee to keep them and to preserve them. Now, listen, this is going to be very important. That does not mean they will escape suffering on the earth. It does mean that they will persevere either through endurance or martyrdom. And they are kept by the power of God. See, this carries on the promise made to the martyrs back in Revelation 6, verse 11. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. There is a number of martyrs that has to be completed at this point. The 144,000 may refer to a complete number of martyrs, 12 times 12 times a thousand, a complete number. Well, what is the mention of the forehead then? And if it's not a visible mark, like a tattoo or scarification, what, what does that refer to? 
it seems to indicate that the knowledge, the understanding of having been sealed by God, guaranteed a future with Him, should shape our thoughts and our actions now. There's a direct application to us as believers, even though this 144,000 is a future number. Those sealed, God's character and works should shape his people's thoughts and actions. Here's one of the big questions out of the text. Who constitutes this group? What or who is the 144,000? One group believes these to be ethnic Jewish believers, a literal 12,000 virgin men, that's taken from Revelation 14, who have not defiled themselves with women, and they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's just taken right out of the text. Okay, Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. They are chosen to be witnesses during the first 42 months of the seven-year tribulation, These men become Jesus followers before the tribulation, serve as evangelists at the front end. They proclaim the gospel until about halfway through where they are killed for their faith. And this view has some merit. Let me read to you Revelation 14.1. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion. Okay, and Mount Zion is a geographical location just east of old city Jerusalem on a hill where David built a citadel. It refers to Jerusalem, Israel, and the spiritual kingdom of God. What's difficult to get around, sort of the the, the difficult hurdles to jump over, are that Isaiah prophesies specifically that Israel as an ethnic nation will be restored. So it has some merit. This view also makes sense if I keep reading in Revelation 14. Listen to the description The 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. So it seems to be in the beginning part of the tribulation, they are saved as a type of first fruits. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Some of us suggested, and it's not, it's really not a ridiculous suggestion that the 144,000 serves as a type of military census, and the way that the tribes are listed and even numbers from each tribe would be, those would be the, the young men that they would give towards a military purpose. It would be an army of militant witness to the nations amidst persecution instigated by the beast, willing to achieve victory through martyrdom. And that's possible. The fact that they are virgins may indicate their single focus on the mission, similar to what Paul teaches to single people in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. However, you you knew that was coming. However... Other factors suggest John may be talking about something broader. First, and there are several things that support this view. First, the centrality of the church throughout the book. It's always been about the church. Revelation 2 and 3 is about the church. And that church was composed of Gentiles and Jews, predominantly Gentile. So you have this one picture, this unity, and that is constantly put forward. 
Aside from this passage, there is no mention of Jewish believers apart from the Gentile church. Okay, so in Revelation 21, 12 tribes are listed on the gates and the apostles are listed as the foundations. But what does that signify? Even with the tribes on the gates around this city and the apostles' names as the foundations, it's signifying a new Jerusalem. A Jerusalem in which Gentile and Jew, Gentile being grafted into the promises of the ethnic Israelites, are dwelling together. So it still pushes towards a unity. Throughout the book, the emphasis is on one group. Another reason for this is Paul's view. Let me read to you three verses from Paul, one verse from Peter. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Galatians 3.29 For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Romans chapter 2 We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.3 Peter says this. Peter describes Christians as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Terms drawn directly from the Old Testament in reference to Israel. So, based on, on those thoughts, many Christians throughout church history have understood the 144,000 as a reference to all overcomers Jew and Gentile during the tribulation. All believers in the final chapter in history who remain faithful to Christ amidst the terrible persecution. Now, that does not mean only 144,000 are saved during that time period, but that is a complete number symbolically that there's going to be this great multitude that is saved. So, how do we wrap that together? You're going to keep hearing me use the word seems. It seems the 144,000 is a different group from the innumerable host. Or else why mention the tribes? Why refer to them in a specific way in Revelation 14? Without trying to force this into sort of historic premillennialism or trying to force it into dispensationalism or trying to force it into a post-mill or ah-mill view, what does the text naturally communicate? What would John's original readers understand when they read this? It seems like John is separating between two different groups. Yes, the first group would naturally be part of those who come forward with palm branches and they're worshiping, but the first group seems to have a mission. And technically, Gentiles have not replaced Israel or made Israel obsolete. But they have actually been grafted into Israel's heritage alongside Jewish Christians. So, I really align with Grant Osborne's statement when he explains this. The list of tribes stresses the completeness of the people of God seen as the messianic army of the Lion of Judah. They have been sealed by God from the outpouring of his wrath and given a twofold task, being militant witnesses for the eternal gospel as they call the nations to repentance, Revelation 12:11, and participating in the defeat of the dragon, both, both by martyrdom, Revelation 12:11, 11, 
and by forming the army of the victorious Christ at his return, Revelation 17, 14. So Jewish virgins only? Possibly. A complete number of believers during the tribulation with a specific mission? Likely. A complete group of Jews and Gentiles overcoming the tribulation either by perseverance or death? Most likely. A group of sealed and protected believers during the tribulation who will accomplish God's purpose for God's glory? Absolutely. Okay. So, while this is primarily a description of the future final period, 144,000, symbolic number for a complete group, who seem to be on a specific mission during the Great Tribulation. And then the second, which we did not get to this morning, an innumerable host where, the, where an elder actually has to ask John, where he did not ask him this question the first time. Where did these come from? Well, they're from all nations. You have a multinational, multicultural multitude coming to worship where the 144,000 seem to be a much more focused group on mission. So for John, his contemporary readers, this is a, and for us, it's a, a picture into the future of what is about to happen, of tribulation and martyrdom. But there, is, there are great promises and application for us this morning as we move towards the Lord's Supper. First of all, and I think if you just step back from Revelation 7, in the first couple of verses, you've got these angels at the four corners of the earth, they're spring-loaded for destruction, there's an illusion from Ezekiel where you have the executioners about to march forward and kill those without a mark. And another angel comes and he goes, stop. And he has the seal of God. And whoever receives that mark, that royal signet ring stamp is protected. The first thing we can take away from Revelation 7 is that God is in control and God has a plan. He commands angels. And he is holding back right now the winds of destruction. Just get that picture in your mind. They're still holding back the winds of destruction. And some of you this morning should be thankful you still have an opportunity to turn to him. His command to stop is gracious. It's a gift. As Peter says, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Are you ready for that? Am I ready for that? Am I ready for Full exposure before the King of Kings. See, the same patience that was at work during the days of Noah, that will be at work during the outpouring of God's wrath and the tribulation, there is still patience of God is also at work now. Let me read you 1 Peter 3.20. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, He's patient, but listen, this is a very sad account, in which a few... That is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. And then Peter expounds baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. What? 
We just, we just talked about the solas. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. What does he mean? He means union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Union with him, spiritual baptism with him. He goes on, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Corresponds to what? Corresponds to these few people being saved through the flood. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. See, now that starts to color in Revelation 7. Do we know that God's judgment and visions of God's severe judgment serve as a redemptive purpose? They're supposed to wake us up, cause us to be alert, to repent. But not only is God in control, but believers are sealed. It is encouraging to know that we, in in, in a different way, because it's not distinctly communicated how they are sealed, probably similar, but we know that we have been sealed with the Spirit of God. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 1. That because of Christ's sacrifice, our future is guaranteed. That's, that's the comfort this morning. In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. See, that's that idea of being sealed. You're protected. You're guarded. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now here's here's the tension. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, that sealing, that protection does not completely deliver you from the sufferings on this earth. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at something. At what? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is in control. We can take great comfort because if we have believed in Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are sealed and kept. And then finally, because God is in control and his children have been sealed by his spirit, believers can live today and tomorrow and every day of our life with hope that we will be with God. Listen to Peter again, Second Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. See, there's going to come a time when the other angel doesn't say stop. 
And the angels in the four corners of the earth let go. And Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But listen to this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens in a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me ask you a question. Are you tired of sinning? Are you weary of sinning? I'm talking to believers. I am sick of sinning. And as much as I don't want to do it, it seems like there's something still in me that is drawn to it sometimes. We are waiting for something. We are looking for something. We are anticipating a place where a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Is your soul cast down? Hope in God. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The very last part of the second part of this vision. I just want you to, you can close your Bibles and you can just take a breath. I want you to hear this. This multicultural multitude that cannot be numbered. Listen to what it says about them, which we'll be a part of. They shall hunger no more. But folks, that's just not about food. You have appetites that, inc- that, that create hollowness in your soul. They will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because God is in control and His children have been sealed by His Spirit, believers can live today and tomorrow and all their remaining days with the hope of a glorious future with God. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more tears.